0: Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. The disciples were afraid. They were in the midst of a sea of Galilee, and the waves were high, and the winds were strong, and they'd been rowing, the boat had been filling with water. And the scripture says that Jesus saw them from the mountain there where he was praying and he went to them on the water. I love that. He was walking on top of what was giving them trouble. But Jesus sees us in our fear. Uh, wherever we may be in our lives or whatever we may be facing, he sees us and he cares and he comes to us and ministers to us where we are. And uh, we need his ministry in times of fear. We need to lift up our eyes to him and cast our cares upon him and bring our fears to him so that he can grant the peace that passes understanding. Um, the, the scripture we're going to look at today is uh, a description of the empty tomb of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus as announced by the angel. And, uh, but it also shows the fear and the response of these women as they have gone for what they think is going to be an ordinary day. You ever had one of those days you thought it was going to be ordinary, and it just turned out to be something completely unexpected? And uh, that's where they were. And uh, it, yeah, I mean, you have to give these ladies credit because at least they were going to the tomb, right? The disciples were locked up in a room for fear of the Jews, but the women had more courage than they did, and they went to the tomb. So um, give them credit for that. But, but they did have a measure of fear. And they've been distracted by the circumstances, And so they, they walk out, they're going to the tomb, and, and they've been so uh, emotionally distraught that they've, they hadn't made arrangements to get the stone removed from the face of the tomb. This, these stones were so big and so heavy, oftentimes five to six men were necessary to move them. So they're talking about this on the way. Maybe we can find somebody to help us move the stone. And they get there, it's moved. They go in, and what Mark calls a youth, but we know from the other Gospels, he had shining clothing which shows that he was an angel. <laughs> he begins to speak to them and says, I know who you're seeking. You seek Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. And come see the place where he laid. You know, I imagine their heads are spinning. You know, uh, have we gone to the wrong tomb? What, what's going on? You know, No, he says, come over here. Look, see the place where he laid, I'm sure there were the blood stains where from the wounds that he had and the crown of thorns and so forth, the the blood that was still upon his body as after they wrapped his body, I'm sure some of the stains were still there, the clothing was still there, the grave clothes. Uh, the other gospels describe that to us um, but uh, they, their response is not yeah. Yeah! He's risen! The response was fear. They didn't believe him. Um, The scripture says that they leave from the tomb and run away terrified. And the angel has instructed them to tell the disciples. And it says they didn't tell anybody. Now we know from... um, the other gospel accounts, that eventually they do go tell the disciples, right? Uh, the ending of Mark here uh, is, uh, it, the ending of Mark in the earliest manuscripts was likely lost, okay? This, the, the remainder of this chapter, after verse 8, uh, is, is something written by a guy, uh, his, history tells us was, his name was Ariston. Uh, kind of to give a summary of what they believe was was uh, missing from mark's gospel of course we have the we don't have that issue with any of the other gospels they have full the full resurrection stories but uh, it, it is truly remarkable because mark records for us in these eight verses what these ladies did in response to what has what has been told to them The other Gospels kind of give you uh, all the Gospels. We have all the Gospels in the Bible that they they complement one another. Certain Gospels emphasize one thing. Another Gospel will emphasize a different thing. So we get a more full picture of what took place. And they also emphasize things to make certain points. And so Mark gives us this detail about them running from the tomb terrified. Um, I'm glad this detail is included. Because have you ever had every reason to trust God and you didn't? Jesus had predicted it. As a matter of fact, the angel even tells him that. He predicted that he would die. He predicted that on the third day he would rise. The angel says, you remember what he said? Just as he said, he has arisen. But they didn't believe it. I guess they were from Missouri, the show me state, you know. (laughs) They weren't going to believe till they saw him. And of course, we know from the other gospels that Jesus did appear to them. Um, But I, I, I want to talk to you about God's ministry to the fearful. All of us have seasons of time in our lives where we're afraid. In those times, we need to take our fear to the Lord with thanksgiving. So that we can live in his peace. And we need to pray with the man who Jesus was going to heal. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Perfect love casts out fear. As God works in our hearts, he can overcome the fear within us. So, God's ministry to the fearful. Let's look at these verses. Uh, Verse 1 of Mark 16. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb, because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. So God's ministry to the fear, fearful. How does he minister to us when we are afraid? He gives, first of all, his provision. He provides what we need. If you look at verse 3, Who will roll the stone from the entrance of to the tomb for us? God had already provided the need. Before they even got there, the stone was rolled away. What an amazing thing. It's amazing to me how God meets our needs in times of great difficulty. Sometimes, perhaps there is uh, a friend who speaks a word, or perhaps it is someone who provides a financial need, gives a gift, or, or perhaps it is hearing the right song on the radio, whatever it might be, but God provides exactly what we need. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about the Apostle Paul and how he spent so much time in prison. And in those days, if you went to prison, you didn't get three squares a day and cable TV. You were put in there, and if nobody came to feed you and nobody brought you clothes, you were hungry and naked. They weren't going to provide you anything. And yet his needs were always met. God provided his needs. He moved upon people's hearts among his people, to minister to Paul. God does the same thing for you and me. He provides for our needs. Hallelujah. (laughs) Uh, In our times of fear, we can know that God can provide whatever it is that we need. If it's spiritual, if it's emotional, uh, if it's physical needs, God is able to provide. So we trust him to provide for us. We need to do that and then praise him for his provision. So, how does he minister to the fearful? He gives his provision. Secondly, he gives his messenger. He gives his messenger. Um, look at verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. <laughs> Um, this messenger is, is interesting. Now, the gospel uh, writers mention different angels in the resurrection story. Um, again, these details these details they would include certain details uh, that were important to the story, and they'd omit other details. Uh, and just what was important to the story is what they would include. Uh, but but here you have this angel. Sent by God to provide a message that they needed. God knew they didn't need to be alone. You ever had a loved one? Maybe someone passed away in your family. You thought, you know, this person doesn't need to be alone. And so you go and you, maybe you spend the night with, with them at their home uh, to kind of provide some comfort and help in the time of their grief. Jesus knew where they were. He knew what they were struggling with. He knew what their emotions were, that they were these roiling emotions that they were experiencing and uh, the grief they were experiencing and the confusion that they would experience when they saw that he wasn't there. And so he sent a messenger. By the way, that's what the word angel means, messenger. (laughs) And this messenger provided a message from God. Aren't you grateful that God sends his messengers from time to time in your life? Uh, Sometimes it might be just the bearer of good news. There have been some days, you ever have one of those days where everything just goes wrong, and then finally somebody brings you some really good news? Isn't that refreshing? (laughs) Just to hear a good report. Um, Other times there may be a messenger that doesn't know they're a messenger, right? Maybe it's a friend or a family member. They, they're just interacting with you, and uh, but God, the Holy Spirit is working through them. They say something that is exactly what you need to hear. Other times, this has been more rare in my life, but occasionally I've had somebody come to me and tell me, God laid you on my heart to pray for this morning. Or I think God wants me to share this with you. And then they begin to share. <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you something. God knows how to bring the message that we need. Amen. I've not had this happen very often, but there was a lady in my last church um, who uh, told me one, that we were having revival services, and she, uh, she told me, she said, uh, God has laid something on my heart to share with the church. If it were today, I would have asked her what that was before I agreed to you know, to let her speak. But I, I was uh, I wasn't thinking about it. I, I said, "Well, let me let me uh, you know I've never had this happen before. Let me uh, look at look at the Word of God, see what see what we're supposed to do here." And um, but, I, I, long story short, I uh, agreed to let her her share what God had laid upon her heart. And she was, she was a person. She wasn't involved in any of the behind-the-scenes work at the church. She came on Sunday mornings only. But she was faithful on Sunday morning. And she was relatively new. I think she'd been in the church about eight months. And God laid on, on her heart this message. And she, I'm going to tell you something. When she shared that message, I knew it was from God. Because... There's no way she could have known what was going on behind the scenes at our church unless God had given her a message to share. (laughs) and It was right down the line. I couldn't have designed a better message for our church. I thought, man, God, this is awesome. You, You have spoken to us. happened one time, never again. But God knew we needed to have a message at that specific time. Listen, God can send a messenger to you. It may be somebody you hear on the radio. There have been times I turn on the radio, and uh, this, i noticed this especially when I was in high school. I, like, I used to like to listen to three different Bible teachers in the evening, and uh, sometimes I wouldn't catch all three of them. But I, I remember more than once I was dealing with some problem in my life. I'd turn on the radio and all three of them would speak on the same topic, and it was the topic I needed. Like God's trying to talk to me or something, right? There's a messenger here. Um, this is the kindness and goodness of God. He didn't have to provide a messenger. He could have let them scratch their heads and wander around the tomb. and uh, What's this about? But he knew that they would need this encouragement at this time. So he provided his messenger. So God does that for us. Uh, God's ministry to the fearful. First of all, he gives his provision. Secondly, his messenger. Thirdly, his assurance. His assurance. Verse six do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. The angel is assuring them. He's saying, look, I know why you came here. You came here to see Jesus. He's risen. And let me assure you, you haven't come to the wrong tomb. You're not mistaken. You, you, you didn't eat a bad burrito last night and, and, and just come to the wrong tomb. Now, yeah, I know you were here yesterday and you saw where you know, they, they put him, but you didn't come to the wrong tomb. No, look, look, look right here. See where he lay? See the nail scars? The prints, the blood prints on the bench? See the grave clothes that are still in the form they were in yesterday? The napkin folded beside. Jesus is alive. (laughs) He assured them. Sometimes we need God's assurance, don't we? One of the great things about the Holy Spirit is He brings assurance. Not just assurance of salvation. Praise God we have that. Um, But he also brings assurance in life. I can't tell you how many times I have, I've gone to God in, in my quiet time and said, Lord, I need to hear from you today. Have you ever had one of those days? God, I need to hear something. I need a word from you. Please speak to me. And I open the word of God, and I begin to read through the scripture. And it's like these words jump off the page, and it addresses exactly what I'm facing. And the Holy Spirit of God touches my heart. As, though, as if to say, that's for you. Assurance. The comfort of God, the assurance of God. Yes, I know it intellectually. But sometimes I need to be reminded in my spirit. By God. And so he assures me. Yes, they'd heard the predictions of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus had said he would rise on the third day. Yes, the angel had told them, but they needed assurance. See the place where he was laid. Um, God's assurance comes to us uh, in different ways, as we've spoken about already. The greatest assurance that has come to my life has come mainly through his word. Just as I've been in His Word. Listen, if you don't have a daily quiet time, you're missing out. You may not understand everything you read, and that's okay. Ask God for understanding, but you don't have to understand everything you read. But when you read the Word of God, something supernatural takes place. And God, it's like, it's, I used to hear W.A. will preach a message called There's Just One Book, and he talks about the old man who was who called for his son, son, bring the book. And his son brings him some other book, and he says, not that book, bring the book. There's just one book, son. You see, the scripture that God has given us is the breathed word of God. So that when we read it, it it speaks to us, it exposes us, It comforts us. It challenges us. It convicts us. So that the, the business is done with God as we come to the pages of His Word. It's amazing the transformation that God can bring through His Word. But He brings His assurance. Next, He brings His direction when we're afraid. Verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Jesus even told them the specifics of what he was going to do after he was raised. He said, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. The angel says, he told you this. Now go tell the disciples the same thing. He gave them direction. Why do you need direction when you're fearful? Have you ever been kind of frozen like the deer in the headlights thing? You know, um, I, I like to read uh, self defense type stuff sometimes, and they talk about you know the fight or flight, and and sometimes people freeze. They just freeze, they can't move, you know. In there. And um, you, you you know you you got to kind of say, okay, move, move, move. You got to tell yourself move, because if you stay frozen. You're in trouble. You're a victim. When we are frozen by our fear, when we're paralyzed by our fear, God says, okay, get moving. Here's what you need to do. And sometimes just having that next step, we don't have to have everything figured out, just knowing the next step of what we're to do when we're afraid is such an empowering thing because it shows us God is with us and He is directing us in the situation. And I'm going to tell you something. Even if you don't have it figured out, if God is telling you what to do and you're responding to Him, He's got it figured out and He can take care of it. So He gives His direction. And I'm so grateful, not just in the times of life where things are going well, but when things are just the wheels are coming off and you don't know what side is up. Uh, you can hear the direction of God through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, and you can take that next step, and God can accomplish His purpose through your life. What an amazing thing. So God gives His direction to us when we're afraid. God's ministry to the fearful, He gives His provision, His messenger, His assurance, His direction. I love this, His forgiveness. I don't know if you notice this, but verse 7, it says... But go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter was a disciple, wasn't he? Why does he have to mention Peter? Peter had denied him. Yes, all of them had forsaken him. But Peter had denied him. Peter had started to curse. said, I don't know this man. Jesus says, go tell the disciples and Peter. And tell him, I, I don't know if he said this or not. It doesn't say that in the Bible. I'm just kind of imagining this. But tell him I said, him specifically. I'm going to meet him in Galilee. Aren't you glad that we have a forgiving God? Have you been ever, ever been afraid to enter the presence of God because you thought, you know, who am I? My sin. I'm guilty. Jesus told the story of two men. The Pharisees, you know, he's got this guy, he's self-righteous, and he's saying, oh, God, I thank you I'm not like this publican here. He, he's not got anything right. Thank God, I thank you I'm such a great guy. Not like him. Right? And Jesus said the publican would not even lift his head. He was beating upon his breast. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. He said, I want to tell you something. You never come into God's presence because you're worthy of it. Scripture says our righteousness is his filthy rags. The very best that we could do, that anyone could do, uh, aside from Christ, of course, who was perfect, is just filthy rags to God. The only way you ever come before the presence of God is through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross. We're justified. I love um, I love the story of Zachariah. I've shared this many times, but I'm going to share it again. It's just great. It's gospel. It's great stuff. This is the book of the clean white pages of Zechariah if you want to check it out. I believe it's chapter 3. But anyway, uh, Zechariah sees this vision. He's a prophet. He sees this vision. And Joshua, who is the high priest in Zechariah's day, Joshua the high priest is before God's presence and he's dressed in these filthy rags. Satan is there accusing him. He's saying, this man is not fit to be in your presence, God. And it says, the angel of the Lord, or messenger of the Lord, who in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord came and he took the filthy garments off him. And he put a beautiful, white, shining robe upon his shoulders. And he said, now he's fit to be in your presence. That's the gospel. I can't get there with my filthy robe, and neither can you. But praise God, I don't wear my own robe coming to the presence of God. I wear the robe that is the spotless, perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. The devil comes, and he accuses, and he says, this Roger Pugh fella, he's not worthy to come into your presence, God. I don't ever argue with that. I say, that's true. But I don't come on my own. Basis. I come in the name of Jesus Christ, clothed with his righteousness. Find fault with that if you can, Satan. And I come boldly to the throne. My Savior has ripped the veil. My Savior has made a way. He has, he's the one who's gone behind the veil in front of me, preparing the way so that when I come, the way is open. His forgiveness. Peter says, you mean he spoke of me? I'm the one who failed him. He's going to meet me? Yes, Peter, you're the only one he mentioned by name because he knew you needed to hear it. <laughs> His amazing Forgiveness. Hallelujah. God's ministry for the fearful. Don't you be afraid to come in the presence of God. You come, confess your sin. If you've sinned, confess it, agree with God about it that it's sin. Ask God to change your heart about it. But you come before the throne of God with boldness. That's your heritage as a child of God. So God's ministry to the fearful, his provision, his messenger, his assurance, his direction, his forgiveness, his promise. Verse 7. You will see him there just as he told you. When we are afraid, we need to remember the promises of God. They'd forgotten they didn't pay attention to him the first time. I'm glad so. I, that makes me feel better as a preacher that they didn't pay attention to Jesus either. Right? He, he told them. How many times did he tell them? I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. And I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee and meet you there. They didn't hear. it. They didn't pay attention. Maybe maybe they're hungry or something. I don't know. In Texas, it was the Cowboys are playing at 12. Preacher, you better say what you got to say quickly. But whatever the reason was, they didn't hear what Jesus was saying. So the angel gently reminds them of the promise of God. I remember one time I was struggling with something and I came across Isaiah 41.10 which is a great verse to memorize if you're looking for a verse to memorize. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Boy, that, that's a promise that will make you shout. Hallelujah! Listen, the promises of God are what we cling to. We don't base our faith on our feelings. We base our faith on the promise of a sovereign, almighty God. Not one promise of God can fail. Not one promise. When Jesus spoke those words, yes. Yeah, it's true, I'm going to die, but I will rise. I will see you in Galilee. It was as sure as bedrock. Finally, God ministers to the fearful with his patience. I love this. His patience. Verse 8, he went out and ran from the tomb. Or no, I'm sorry, they went out and ran from the tomb. Because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. If, if I was Jesus, I'd probably would have said, how many times do I have to tell you? Are you still afraid? How many of you have ever been fearful And you came to church, you're still fearful? You had your quiet time, you're still fearful. You heard somebody quote a verse, you're still fearful. You heard somebody sing a song, you're still, still, still fearful. <laughs> Listen, we've all been there at one time or another in our lives. Praise God for His patience. His patience, uh, we, we talked about Peter and his denial. But, I mean, God was patient with all of them. There wasn't, there wasn't a single individual that didn't fail Jesus in his, his hour of greatest need. But he was patient with them. I love the fact that um, the book of Lamentations, you talk about failure. The Israelites had failed God so miserably that he'd had to send them into captivity. Jeremiah is looking at all the ruins of the destroyed cities that the um, the Syrians first, and then the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the main ones that Jeremiah dealt with, and um, he was looking at all the ruin and the devastation, and was just broken hearted over what had happened in this country. But he says these words in Lamentations. He says, uh, "Lord, it is of your." Compassions that we are not consumed. For your compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. And yes, God did show compassion to Israel. Yes, he did show mercy to Israel. His mercies are new every morning. The patience of God. Did you blow it yesterday? Hallelujah. It's a new day. <laughs> the patience of God. Isn't it a wonderful thing to have such a patient God? Now, now don't don't confuse that with God being a chump, because He's not a chump. Uh, God cannot be mocked, the scripture says. Ultimately, if we persist in the pattern, whatever a man sows, he reaps. And God uh, won't interfere with that process ultimately if if uh, we persist in rebellion. But God is patient with us, and He's far more patient than we are with ourselves, and He's far more patient than others are with us. And Hallelujah for that fact! His patience and His mercy is new every morning. Listen, you want to know about the mercy of God and the patience of God? Manasseh was Judah's most wicked king. The streets, actually the the Bible describes it in this way. It says the streets ran with blood. He murdered so many people that there was blood running down the streets all the time. He was such a, a vile idolater and such a flagrant idolater that he brought Idol worship into the very temple courts and flouted God with his idolatry. That's some sin right there. Every kind of immorality, every kind of, of wicked thing took place under the kingship of Manasseh. But we find this interesting story, one of, the, one of the, I believe it's chronicles that, that shares this with us. Kings just describes his wickedness, but I think Chronicles gives us this detail that God had pronounced judgment upon him and a prophet went and told him about it and he humbled himself and he repented. And the Bible says God forgave him. Can you believe that? That's the mercy of God. I, I've heard somebody once, t- one time, asked me, he said, "Well, God, God won't forgive murderers, will He? Yes, He will. David would be in trouble, wouldn't He? King David would be in trouble because he, he indirectly, he murdered someone. But um, sometimes we think, well, you know, my sins too great. No, God is a merciful God, patient." God is not slack in his coming, as some men describe slackness, but he is patient with you, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. God's patient with lost people. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. God may say this is the last time, but God is very patient. And we know uh, after verse 8, the Scripture tells us that Jesus appeared to the women. That's why they went and told the disciples. Jesus said, I guess I'm going to have to go to him myself. I still had not got it. You know? <laughs> so he, he goes, he appears to the women. Mary Magdalene apparently stayed behind. John tells us about Mary Magdalene. Uh, you know, she's listening to the angel's message. She doesn't believe it. She's standing outside the tomb weeping, and she sees Jesus kind of out of the corner of her eye and thinks he's a gardener. She says, Where have you taken my Lord? Tell me where you've taken him so that I can honor him in his burial. He says, Mary. It clicks. Her heart is filled with joy, and she clutches to him. And uh, what an amazing thing! This is this is the patience of our God, and, and Jesus appeared to them, and so forth. And, and of course, the all these these eyewitnesses saw him afterwards. But I'm so grateful that Mark gives us this little glimpse into the fearfulness and weakness and failure of these women because it shows us the patience and the love of our great God. Praise God that he ministers to us in our times of fearfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us when we're afraid. And Lord, I just pray that um, if there's someone here today that is struggling with fear, that uh, they would just bring that fear to you. And thank you for your promises, and, and thank you for your, what you've done in the past, and just trust you so that you can replace that fear with your peace. And uh, Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray for salvation.